Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to come in here and just act like you own the place? What I'm addressing this morning is what some of you may go through in two weeks as we start growth group. We're meeting in homes. So let's say that you enter into someone's home for a growth group and and they were to say, hey, just make yourself at home. And you say, huh, you know, I'm feeling a little tired. You go to the master bedroom, you find some pajamas, you just lay down in their bed. Or maybe this, maybe, maybe you're hanging out and you're in their home and you're like, you know, I really don't like the way this floor plan is laid out. And so you leave the house, you go to Ace, you buy a sledgehammer and some paint and you come back. You're making yourself at home. If you did this, you are going to make the host couple angry and they're going to be asking the question, what gives you the right to come in our home and to do this? Who gave you the authority to govern or change what's going on in our house? Now, in some ways, that is the question that our text is asking this morning. Jesus is having a confrontation with the religious leaders of the day. He has been having confrontation with the religious leaders of the day. And they are asking the question, what gives you the right? Who is giving you permission to come in and to act like you own the place? One of the things as we look at this text, over the past couple of weeks if we've, as we've been back in the book of Mark, is that as these events are unfolding, this is day after day after day. And so two days prior, Jesus had come into Jerusalem, remember on a donkey, making a proclamation of who he was, allowing all the fanfare, here is the holy day, Passover, All God's people are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And here Jesus is making it about himself. Who gives this man the right to do this? And then the passage that we studied last week. Think about this. Jesus comes into the temple. Verse 15 of this same chapter. Then they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and... I want you to try to imagine this. He began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And then notice this sentence we often miss because we have this image of Jesus overturning tables and uh, driving people out. Then notice in verse 16, he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the table. Jesus was standing there saying, not in my house. Notice the question this morning. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? And don't you love the way that Jesus answers this question? He answers the question with a question. He says, 
He said to them, I will ask you one question and you will answer me and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. At some level, Jesus is by asking the question and by taking control saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, who are you to question me? I'm the one who asked the questions here. But the other thing that I want you to notice about this is that this isn't uncommon for Jesus to do. If we just look back at chapter 3, and there are many, many, many instances of this, but but back in chapter 3 of the book of Mark in verse 4, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's about to heal a man. And he said to them, so the people from the synagogue, the religious leaders are coming and they're questioning him, and he asked them the question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath or to save a life or to kill? And notice what happens. These religious leaders stay silent. Or later in this same chapter, in verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And Jesus, he called himself He called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. And he asked this question. How can Satan cast out Satan? So it's kind of a normal way for Jesus to handle these religious leaders. And so in the line of what Jesus is doing, I thought one of the things that we would do this morning is ask several questions of our text. And the first question that I'd like for you to consider is why is there conflict? Why is there conflict? These are religious people. Not only are they religious people, they are the religious people. I don't know if you spend time thinking about this, but they had the same book. They believed in the Bible, the Old Testament. They believed in the prophets. They believed they were serving and worshiping and praying to the same God. And so why in the world is there conflict? What in the world is the problem? Well, if you've read the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll find is that this has always been a problem. This is the pattern. We could go all the way back, but if we just started with Moses for a minute... God does these miraculous things with, the, with God's people. He releases them from Egypt. They're with Moses. They're in the wilderness. He is rescuing them. He is saving them. And God's people rebel against His word and against His man, Moses. And over and over we see in the wilderness this pattern of God speaking, God working, and His people drifting. The book of Judges is this same pattern over and over that God raises up a judge to judge his people, to bring them back. And and many times in the book of Judges, there seems to be a, a, a cusp of renewal and revival. And then these words just echo throughout the book of Judges. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Drifting. Falling away. And even the need for a prophet. Even the need for a prophet that God would raise up these prophets and these prophets would come and they would speak and they would speak about God's judgment, about his mercy, about who he is. And the people would fall away. 
So no surprise. It should be no surprise to us when we read this passage, when we see Jesus come on the scene, that the religious leaders of the day are wayward and blind and have hard hearts. It's pretty sad. Mark has told us up until this point, Mark has been very clear who this man is. He is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He has come to set His people free. And He has come to His own, but His own know Him not. Instead of submitting to Him and worshiping Him as Lord, they're concerned They're concerned about their own little kingdom, their own power, their own rule, their own well-being. Glad this doesn't happen to us, aren't you? Another question that I think comes out of this text when we're reading it is this question of whose house is it? Who is in charge here? Who's in charge? I mean, think about it from this point of view. Until Jesus comes on the scene, these men are the men. They are the rulers. They are the ones that um, are ruling, are looking over God's people. They have been in control. Again, last week when we look at verse 17... Notice this. And he says to them, is it not written? Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you, under your rule and under your domain. Under your practices. While you have been in control, they just think they're in control. You have made it a den of. Robbers. And notice in verse 27. It says, and he was walking into the temple, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders came to him. Now, almost everybody agrees that that the, the mixture of these men and these offices in the church is pointing towards a probably a small group of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin would have been the ruling Jewish religious body of the time. No higher office, no higher authority. And this is the, these are the ones that Jesus is interacting with. For, for a Jew, the buck would stop here. This, they are the end all, the be all. This is the group that has authority. And this is where Jesus is coming in. And Jesus is having conflict. That would ultimately end in them putting him on a cross. But it didn't start here, did it? If you've been with us through the book of Mark. If you've been with us through the book of Mark. This this is no surprise to us. From the very beginning, Jesus was going into synagogues. And he was healing And he was teaching as one who had authority. Do you remember that phrase? The people were amazed. 
They were used to hearing teaching that went like this. You have heard it said. And they would elaborate and talk about the wisdom of old or ancient writers. But Jesus would come in and say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus was locating authority within himself. Jesus wasn't looking to the Sanhedrin. He wasn't looking to the religious leaders. Jesus was constantly making this claim of I have authority. And constantly we have seen things like this. That the disciples, when they were with Jesus and they were picking grain on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Here were these religious leaders sent from Jerusalem to try to trap Jesus. And we have this confrontation. Or, or what about when Jesus was in the temple and he was healing, the, healing a man on the Sabbath? And they say, you can't do that. And when Jesus confronts them, we hear these words that has echoed throughout the book of Mark as well. They sought to destroy him. There was a showdown. There was a confrontation and it was intense. And we see, and we're going to see a little bit later, I think the things that just got into the crawl of these men, they just hated the reality of how the crowds were reacting to him. That people were believing him, that people were surrounding him. And so I think this, this entry into Jerusalem just drove them nuts because he wasn't one of them he wasn't submitting to them he wasn't doing things the way that they wanted him to do Jesus is not playing by the rules of their house he is turning the rules upside down and is proclaiming to be the owner of this house so does Jesus need permission Does Jesus need permission? Do we think that before Jesus went into the temple and cleansed it, that Jesus should have knocked on the door of the chief priest and said, Hey, sir, can I have a moment with you? I would like to clean my house. I would like to turn over tables and throw people out of here. If you would allow me. Jesus doesn't need permission because they have no authority over him this temple was built for God this temple was built to be a place where man and God would commune this was his house and not only that but this is his world so Jesus the sovereign king lord of the universe doesn't have to ask Permission. He is the king. He is the ruler. He is in charge. Which maybe brings us to uh, another question that I don't know if you think about too often. Who or what determines where we place authority? It's a big question in our day and age. 
There were huge debates, huge divisions over this question. I mean, even on the geopolitical scene with with Russia threatening to invade Ukraine, the, the question is, who is the one who determines authority? And it seems to be on the geopolitical stage that it's the might makes right. The one with the biggest weapons, the biggest guns, the biggest army tends to be able to get other people in line and to line up. So, so is that where we derive authority and look for authority as well? Then you have some on the other extreme would say, no, 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 listen. I'm my authority. We all have authority. We all are our ultimate authority. How does that work? I know. Okay, authority is given, so what we should do is vote. And we vote, and we choose who has authority, and we choose what rules they follow. There's no perfect system. And I want to bring this up all to say that I want you to hear that we are constantly, whether we know it or not, we are constantly asking this question of who has authority and where does it come from? Notice the dilemma of this text in verse 30. This is the question that Jesus asked. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Answer me. And then in verse 31, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. And what is the problem here? If they say that John was a prophet, it's a major problem for them and their authority. Do you understand why? Because John came in the wilderness preaching repentance and preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand and there is one coming after me whose sandal I'm not able to untie. And oh yeah, here he is, Jesus. And so if they believed that John was truly a prophet, it meant that they were acknowledging that Jesus was from God as well and they needed to bow down and worship him as Lord and Messiah and King of the universe. And they were trapped. Then notice this. You find it strange? Here are the, the religious people of the day. The top brass. The most godly men in the nation. And when they are confronted with a tough question, when they are confronted in this monumental moment, do you find it strange how they resolved it? They began reasoning among themselves. Maybe their reasoning 
Maybe they brought up some of their scriptures, but I highly doubt it. I think we get a pretty good snapshot here. They weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about God's word. They weren't praying. They weren't seeking wisdom from above. They were seeking wisdom from one another. And that wisdom was all about self-preservation. I think what we see is that they had created their own kingdom. And their agenda was to retain power. Their agenda was to proclaim their own authority. And think about the difference between this. I just kept thinking about this this week. Think about the difference between how these chief priests, these scribes, these elders approached Jesus and how Nicodemus approached Jesus. Remember Nicodemus? And we like to throw rocks at him because he came at night. But when we look at it in this context, don't we appreciate the heart of Nicodemus who noticed something in Jesus that was bigger than him and came before Jesus? And when he questioned Jesus, it was from the heart with a desire to know that's not what these men are doing. These men are doing something different. Now, I want to insert something here. And I, I want to once again to say, um, I don't want to overlook what's going on tonight. And today, vote on the elder deacon ballot, okay? But, but one of the things that we're doing, and one of the things that I think is important as we think about what we're doing tonight by, by bringing on some men into eldership, is we are not voting into office um, some really good, worldly, wise men that can kind of take us to the next level. When we look at the office of elder in this church, we are looking to bring people on to the shepherding body, and we realize that we are under shepherds. That God and His Son Jesus reign supreme and we are placed under him, under that authority, as we try to lead this little flock to him. It's not our kingdom. It's not our work. It's his. And that's why tonight is so important in what we're doing. That's why in the role of an elder, you don't just look for a smart guy. You look for someone who when pressed and when has a hard and difficult situation, goes to the Word. That in that elder room, we're going to prayer. That we're relying on the Holy Spirit to work in and among us as we make decisions. You see, we're dependent. We're dependent. Because it's His kingdom. Notice the difference in that in these religious folks who were establishing their own kingdom. Now, I want you to see something tragic in this text. As we ask the question, what happens when we deny the authority of God? What happens when we deny the authority of God? 
The first tragic thing that I want you to see in these verses again is they said they began reasoning among themselves. And then in verse 33, notice the answer that they gave. And this is so tragic. We don't know. And it's not just tragic because they were religious leaders and they should have known. It's tragic because what it means for their souls. It's tragic because sitting, standing right in front of him was the Messiah who was coming to take away the sin of the world. And when confronted with him, their own pride, their own arrogance, their own hard heart brought them to this conclusion We don't want you. Stay away from us. And my prayer this morning is this. If any of you this morning have been resisting the authority and the lordship of Christ in your life and are not surrendering to him as Lord and Messiah and Savior because of your hard heart, because you want to do things your own way, you want to establish your own kingdom. My prayer for you this morning is is that the Holy Spirit would melt your heart and that you would see in this text a divine Savior who loves you and came to die so that you could have a relationship with Him. And that you wouldn't face the same tragedy of these religious men. The other thing that happens when we deny Christ and His authority Is that we live in fear of the wrong thing. We live in fear of the wrong thing. Did you notice? Did you notice why they came to this decision? Why they came to this place where they said, I don't know. Verse 32. They were afraid of the people. They were afraid of the multitude. Why? Because what if these people revolt? What if these people don't follow us any longer? What if these people turn their back on us? What did that mean for them? It meant their kingdom, their status, their power, their prestige, their standing went away. And they loved themselves so much and their power and their authority so much that they were afraid of the people. book of Matthew records this. Do not be afraid of man who can destroy your body. But be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Next week, Gary's going to preach on a parable that goes hand in hand with what's going on. It's really just an illustration of this week's sermon. I'm I'm not going to preach that this morning, Gary, but I do just want to point out something. That in that parable, what happens is that uh, Jesus tells a story of there's a man who owns a vineyard and he sends in his servants and to to gather the grapes and they they're mean to the servants. They beat them and they send them back and then he sends his son and they kill his son. And in verse nine. It says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers 
and he will give the vineyard to others. And the tragedy in this, the tragedy in this, is that the owner of the vineyard is loving. He is merciful. He is kind. And he is extending that offer. We fear all too often. We fear the wrong thing. We fear our kingdom. Our own goals. Our own aims. Going away. Versus fearing. Missing the mercy and the grace of God. So how shall we live? How shall we live? You know, one of the things that's interesting about Christians. When you read the New Testament. That the scriptures are always calling Christians to live in a posture where you're placing yourself under. And I'll just list just a few. But this whole idea, this word, place yourself under, in the New Testament, we use the word submit. And the Bible tells us that we are to submit to God and His will. The Bible tells us we are to submit to one another. The Bible tells us we are to submit to governing Authorities. The Bible tells us we are to submit to the, the leaders in the church over us. And sure, there are times, there are times when we obey God rather than man. But the life of a Christian, the how then shall we live, the thrust of the Christian life is that we, when we see God, when we see His Son for who He is, the majesty, the love, the power, the wisdom, that the proper response that we have is that we place ourselves under Him and under His authority because we realize this is the best thing for us. And that He gives us a job to do. Isn't it fascinating that when Jesus was leaving this earth, that he utters this statement. All authority has been given to me. Jesus is settling this matter. When he was killed on the cross. When he raises on the third day. He makes this proclamation. All authority has been given to me. And then he looks at his followers and says. Go. Go. Make Disciples, build my kingdom. You have been given a task to do. This is who you are. But so often, instead of building his kingdom. Christians, we get bogged down in still wanting to create and promote our own kingdom, don't we? And so I've got several questions to end on this morning. That I just want you to think through. How do we respond. When God's authority confronts our hypocrisy. That's a stinging one isn't it. How do you respond. 
And God's authority confronts your hypocrisy. When you're struggling with obedience in your life, when you're struggling with obedience in your life, do you recognize to whom you are obeying or called to obey? The sovereign Lord of the universe who is love, who is full of mercy, who is kind, who knows everything, who is all-powerful, all-knowing. And yet, when we're struggling to obey, the very essence of what we're saying is, God, I think I know better than you. How would our lives be different if our first response became a response of yielding? That our first response when confronted with sin, when confronted with obedience, that our first response was, Lord, I may not understand, but I am following you. I'm trusting you. Not that this is the goal, but how much better would your life be? How much better would our lives be if we not only recognize Jesus as authority, God as authority, His Word as authority in our life, but we live that out and we walk that out on a daily basis. How would your relationships at home be different if this was where you lived? How would your relationships at work be different if this is where you lived? How would your relationship with your neighbors be different if this is where you If Jesus were looking at your life, what kind of questions would he be asking you? One of the things we get from this text is that Jesus meddles. Because he loves. And if he was looking at your life this morning, what kind of questions would he be asking you? did you turn away from that person that was in need? What are you doing with your resources? Let me rephrase that one. What are you doing with my resources? They're not yours. You're given to us. What are you doing with your time? What sin patterns are you engaging in that you think are answering problems. Pornography. Alcohol. Drugs. Any other type of addictive behaviors. How is that working out? Why would you speak to your wife that way? Your husband that way? Your children that way? Your neighbor that way? Your co-worker that way? Why are you more emotionally interested in politics than in your faith? Why are you more concerned about political parties than you are of sharing the gospel? 
Am I good? Am I good? Do you trust me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your mercy. As I was preparing for this, you reminded me often of how short I fall. And how often I try to build and establish my own little kingdom. But God, it is so good that you love, you forgive, you draw us towards yourself. And it is what makes life worth living that we serve and work for the ruler of the universe. Help us to know who we are. And God, I just pray that you would help us at Single Mountain Bible Church. On the eve of electing new leaders in and among us, that we would always be a people who place ourselves under your authority because you are the one who has all authority. So help us to recognize the reality and to live out who you have called us to be. All this is only possible through your son's name. It's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.